We have been uh, three weeks now into this new series called Next. We have said, what's next for hope? We believe that God has called us to an intentional season of growth. Uh, And so over the last three weeks, we've tried to answer the question, why? Why do we want to pursue growth? Is it just to get big? That's really never been something hope's been after. Is it to have tons of ministries and a big platform? Never really something that hope's been after. We looked deeply into the Scriptures to try to figure out why. Why do we pursue growth? Is it something God really calls us to? And hopefully these themes have resonated with you, that the answer is yes, God does call us to growth. First and foremost, for His glory. That from the very beginnings of the divine drama, the story of creation, God has said, go forth and multiply to fill the earth with my glory. That the, the, the growth that God desires is the growth of His glory to the ends of the earth. And then we looked at Jesus and tried to understand what Jesus has asked us to do. What is the call that Jesus has put on our life and the life of the church? And we've understood through Jesus' message and Jesus' prayer that working hard at and completing the work that that God has given us is a chief means of glorifying God. And so we looked at Matthew chapter 28, classically called the Great Commission. We said it probably should be called the Everyday Commission, that this is the work that God has given us. That is, that if we're going to be serious about the glory of God, then we need to be serious about pursuing more and mature disciples. That more and mature disciples Uh, lead to more glory of God, the glory of God filling the ends of the earth. And then last week, we tried to look at our particular vision here at Hope, contextually and who we are as a church, how are we structured, what is our identity in trying to live into this Jesus-given call to make disciples in order to glorify God. And we talked about being a simply Jesus people. Gospel saturation, casual depth, genuine connections, multiplication mindset, and a unique structure that says we want to be a sending church so we are a multi-congregational church. Because our vision, based on Jesus' call, is that the Gospel would come within reach of every single person in the Lehigh Valley. How can we have more and mature disciples? if the Gospel is within reach of every single person in the Lehigh Valley. And so we have intentionally structured our church and our church's identity to accomplish that vision. Why growth? Because it leads to more glory for God. Because it's a way we pursue Jesus' command to make disciples. And because it's how we live into the vision that God has given us. So now, in these next four weeks, today and the three weeks that follow, we are going to be asking the question, how? Hopefully we've answered the why. Uh, If you're still cloudy on some of that, I'd love to spend time with you, dig deeper, pray with you, uh, wrestle together. But now we're going to turn and ask how. How do we collectively, as the people that, that make up this church, how do we get after this? How do we live into that vision, pursue that call of Jesus, and, and pursue the glory of God through uh, entering into 
uh, an intentional season of growth. Today we want to look at uh, a simple command from the Apostle Paul. And here's what I want to suggest. The first way that we get after this is that we have everyone engaged. Everyone engaged. How do we enter into an intentional season of growth for the glory of God? Everyone engaged. What do I mean by everyone engaged? Let's take some time this morning and try to understand that. Let's start with this this word everyone. Pretty self-explanatory, right? By everyone, guess what I mean? Everyone. Here's what's classic in the reality of the church, and statistics bear this out almost all of the time. It is that 20% of the people do the work of the church and 80% of the people consume what the church offers. But that is a vision of a church that is just about programs and products when the New Testament actually says the church is the people who constitute it. And so the vision of the church has always been about everyone, not some putting on a show for the rest to consume. When we say everyone, do we mean everyone? Yeah, we mean everyone. Are people at different places in their spiritual journeys? Are people newer to hope and still figuring out? Absolutely. Is there space for that? Of course there is. But our dream, our pursuit, is that everyone would be engaged. So, what do we mean by engaged? And I want to try to use two statements to flesh this out. The first is that engaged means I'm intentionally in. If I'm engaged, then I'm intentionally in. Intentionally in. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. A little passing phrase that makes up a verse of Scripture that says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. Never be lacking in zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. What do we mean by intentionally in? Let's wrestle with this verse for just a few moments this morning. Uh, At Hope, for the scriptures we put on the screen and the the translation that I read from, we often use the New International Version. That's not because there aren't versions that are sometimes better. Uh, It's because the New International Version is the most easy translation for people to enter. Remember that whole casual depth thing we talked about last week? It is we want something that people can enter into easily, but we want to go deeper. So the NIV lets us kind of enter into it. But as we'll see today, it doesn't always get to the the depth of what's going on in the verse. So let's have a little Greek lesson this morning. Everyone up for this? This this excites nerd nerd Pastor Adam. (laughs) So So here's the phrase in Greek that that makes this up. It's te spude me akneroi. Right? That's the phrase that we get Never be lacking in zeal. Te spude me akneroi. Here's what it means. In zeal, no lack. That's it. But, if we're trying to get deeper into these words, there's actually a better translation. Te spude, right? In zeal. Uh, When we hear the word zeal, we read it in Scripture, and we think of it in Christian context, it kind of freaks us out. Maybe you're not like me, but it starts to freak me out. Like, 
the zealous Christian types, they're the people maybe I don't want to be <laughs> like, right? The people on the corners with the bullhorns yelling at people, condemning people, or the crazy people out doing all kinds of crazy things, or that weird guy John the Baptist from the opening parts of the Gospels who's like got long hair and eating weird stuff and out in the wilderness preaching stuff. They're the zealous people. I'm okay just being like a run-of-the-mill kind of guy, right? Zealous kind of freaks us out. And what actually goes even further, because you go to zealous, you, you take it from an adjective to a noun, zealot. No one wants to be that, right? In our world, a zealot, that's not a cool thing. And I happen to agree, you know? And even in Jesus' world, there were zealots. And Jesus was trying to transform zealots by the gospel. Listen to this. Zealots was never something Jesus was after. And maybe that's why the word zeal here is actually not the best translation. I would suggest to you that a better translation for zeal is uh, a word, I would, I would use this word, earnestness. Earnestness. And that's because this word translated zeal can be translated two ways. The NIV picks zeal. The ESV uses zeal as well. It can be translated two different ways. The first has to do with um, urgency. It's like a time-based translation. That is like, hey, don't wait. Get after this. Don't wait on this. Like, you can be translated like haste, right? Make haste. Get, get on to it. And the other way you could translate it, and some of the translations actually use this word, the NASB uh, and others use this word, it's the word diligence. Never be lacking in diligence. That's how the NASB translates this. It is like uh, integrity in effort, right? Working hard. And I think this gives us a better understanding of this biblical picture of zeal than maybe our contextual thinking of crazy flamboyance. You know? It's this idea of understanding that the mission is urgent, that the cause is significant, and we should be diligently pursuing it. That we shouldn't be waiting. And that we should be after it with earnestness. The phrase won't show up on the screen, but the, the verse, verse 11 ends with, in serving the Lord. Right? Well, this is what we're talking about. That we're intentional in what we're doing. We're not just going through the motions. It's not, oh, it's Sunday, what do you do on Sunday? We go to church, get that done, get home, eat lunch, get the football game on, right? Or the baseball game on, or get out to mow the lawn, or do the chores, or go into the Sunday evening slump because Monday's coming. Right? I get all of those, I've done all of those, I do all of those. We tend to be people who go through motions, don't we? There's not a lot of intentionality. And Paul's urge here to the Romans is you can't live that way. You have to be intentional, moving with urgency and diligence, earnestness, call it zeal if you want to. This is what it means to be intentionally in. But it doesn't stop there, right? Te spude me ok neroi. Ok neroi is an interesting Greek word. Here we get it translated lack, and it's often translated lack. But it literally, maybe um, colloquially, we could translate it something like this. Hey, don't drag your feet, right? 
That's kind of the idea here is that like twiddling your thumbs, waiting around, waiting to the last minute, uh, those kind of things. So yesterday we had community group. We love our community group. Uh, our neighbors even came to community group. We're trying to invite them. It's, it's been awesome. Love the connecting that's happening in these groups. Hopefully you're connecting to one and loving those connections as well. On my to-do list for community group was a couple of things. One of them was clean the downstairs bathroom. This is significant, right? If you're part of our community group, you're glad that we do that, and you should be. But uh, if you know what it's like to live with me, that's not like the chore that I'm most excited about. So the time is ticking off and ticking off and ticking off. And Rach is like, remember I told you to clean the bathroom? And I'm like, I know I'm oak-neroying, right? <laughs> I'm dragging my feet. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing this. I know it's got to get done. We'll get to the last minute and we'll get it done. And Paul's saying, we can't live that way. And after all, we're not cleaning toilets here. This is significant. You can't drag your feet. Again, this word okneroi has, has two kind of reasonings or two kind of ways of, of translating it behind it. The first is kind of like laziness, uh, and that's basically what's happening to me in the toilet last night, right? Laziness, disinterest, right? You got to get done. Do I really want to do it? No way. Like, worst job ever. Let's not do it, you know? And there's a way in which it's talked about that way. In fact, the ESV uses that translation. If you have a copy of the ESV or, or look it up later, this is how the ESV translates this phrase. Don't be slothful in your zeal, right? Slothful. I was totally slothful of cleaning the bathroom last night. But there's another way that it is often translated too, and it's kind of the word like reluctant. And so there it's not about being lazy or about... Uh, twiddling your thumbs or being disinterested, it's about like, hmm, I don't know. Do I really want to do this? What's it going to require of me? Are there going to be causes? Are there be, I mean, are there going to be effects on me? Like, what happens to me if I do this? And, and Paul uses it this way in Philippians. Remember in Philippians, Paul says, remember Paul, he's in prison in Philippians, but he's always talking about joy. Like, be happy, be joy, be rejoice. He has that weird saying. He's like, rejoice. In fact, it's no trouble to me to say it again, okneroi, that's the phrase there, right? Or we say, I'm not reluctant, I'll say it again. I have no problem saying it, even though there's negative consequences on me in the moment. See this? See what Paul's saying here? Hey, we need to be people who see the urgency of the mission in front of us and who are diligent in the work, and because of that, aren't lazy, disinterested, or reluctant. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. What keeps us from really living into this call of God on our lives in all aspects, not just in this reality we're talking about as a church? It's really these two translations of Okneroi, isn't it? Or Okneros, if you want to go into the singular. The one is, we're lazy, uh, and you might not be a lazy person in general, but you can be disinterested, right? In other words, there's a lot of other things that are more important to me in this particular season of life. There's a lot of other things that are taking more of a priority than this. That's okneroi. That's a trip up. That's a way of dragging your feet in this instance, Paul says. Or it's this idea of reluctance or being tenuous, right? Not so, if I do this, what's going to happen? 
If I do this, how is it going to change my existence? If I do this, what's going to be required of me? When is the other shoe going to drop? How is this going to change things for me? And Paul's saying, no. When we're pursuing this mission of God, we're serving the Lord, we can't be tenuous. We can't hedge our bets. We have to be intentionally in, engaged together. Everyone. But here's the problem. Part of our human nature, at least it seems, is those two things, isn't it? Laziness, disinterest, other priorities, struggling to order our lives in the right way, not meeting up to these realities, and or reluctance, honest reluctance. I know the call is to make disciples, but if I do that, it's going to change some things for me. It could make a relationship awkward, or that could change how I do this, or Maybe that means some of my free time has to go in this other way. We're reluctant. We're hedging our bets. It's hard for us to fully jump in. Why doesn't Paul spend any time talking about how to change that? How to overcome that? How to transform that? And I would point you to the bigger context, that that's exactly what this whole verse is about. It's not about trying to sweep that under the rug and be like, oh, if you really loved Jesus... You wouldn't be like this. You'd be jealous, right? You've got to go all the way back to the beginning of Romans. Romans 12, 1 and 2. A verse we quote all the time here at Hope. Therefore, what is it therefore? Therefore, Romans 1 through 11, the Gospel. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer yourselves as living holy sacrifices to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, the only right response to who God is and what He has done in and through the person and work of Jesus is the offering of yourselves. How do you do this? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you be spude instead of okneroi? the renewing of your mind. You are transformed, not conformed. How? Romans 1-11. through The Gospel. The glory of God. The purpose of humanity. Who God is in light of... Who you are in light of who God is. What God has done for you. How He has changed the whole order of things, not just in your life, but in all of the cosmos. How He is setting this world right. And the only hope for this world is what God has, is, and will do in Jesus. You know that, but you forget because you're just like me. Because life is full of stuff. That's why Paul's saying, if you're going to Romans 12, 11, you've got to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? If you're going to spude instead of okneroi, You've got to transform, not conform. You've got to go back. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What has God done? Who am I? Who am I now because of what Jesus has done? What am I called to? How do I enter into this? And it's not a once and done thing. It's an everyday, every moment, realignment process. And you say that's hard work. And Paul says, I know it is. Romans 7, right? 
All the things I want to do, I don't do. All the things I do want, all the things I do want to do, I don't do. All the things I don't want to do, I do do. Right? Paul can get you. What is he saying then in Romans 12? The battle is worth it. It's urgent. Be diligent. Transform. Don't conform. So you can spude, not okneroi. Don't drag your feet on being earnest. We have to be intentionally in. What is our vision for our church? When I say church, I don't mean programs. I don't mean preaching. I don't mean Sunday gatherings, community groups. All of those things are functions. When I say church, I mean you. I mean we. I mean us. We're the church. What is our vision? Everyone engaged. Everyone means everyone. Engaged means intentionally in. Think about this with me just a little bit more. The second um, part of that verse is, is to numati zeantes. To numati zeantes. In the spirit, to numati zeantes. Fervor. Don't drag your feet in being earnest, but in the spirit have fervor. Keep your spiritual Fervor. Let's think about this word for a minute. Fervor. It's a weird word, right? Fervor. Does anyone even use that word anymore? What does it mean to have <clears throat> fervor? Well, the first thing we need to understand is it's in the spirit, right? In other words, this isn't something we manufacture. This isn't something we push a button and say, now I have fervor. I don't go home and work on having fervor. Pass around said, I got to have more fervor. Let's go home and have fervor. Let's go to fervor camp, right? You need the spirit. It's the Spirit who gives us fervor. It's when we're in the Spirit when we grow in fervor. That's to numate. In the Spirit, fervor. In Greek, order matters in, in, in settings like this. Right? But this word zeantes is a fascinating word because what's translated fervor here is actually a word picture in Greek. It was actually used of pots that were boiling over with water. Right? Uh, and so the, the base word actually is the word hot. So you get this idea of like when you're cooking pasta at home and you're like me, you don't follow the instructions and measure out one cup of water or whatever. Fill the pot with water. It boils. You dump the pasta in. You walk away, and it's flooding all, all over the top of the stove, right? And your wife's like, Adam, I just cleaned the stovetop. That's the picture, right? It's like when we're actually in the spirit. So think of yourself as pasta and the spirit as bubbling, boiling water. When you are dumped into it, this is the picture Paul has. Now, he was oftentimes used of fermented drinks in those days, but that might not meet everyone's um, personal interest. So pasta is universally acceptable, right? And so you get the picture of what's going on here. That is, how are we going to do this? How are we going to transform, not conform? How are we going to spude, not okneroi? How are we not going to drag our feet, but be zealous or be earnest, be urgent and, and, and diligent? By getting in the boiling water known as the Holy Spirit and allowing the Spirit to have control and heating up and boiling over. Now listen, 
heating up doesn't mean what you think it might mean. Oh, it means I'm going to go out and knock on doors and yell at people and tell them they're going to hell and all these other things. No, that's nonsense. Nonsense. Heating up means you're living your normal life with incredible intentionality. And it is just boiling over into everything. It's no longer just contained to the pot. You see it? It's no longer just Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes. Now it's Monday at work and Tuesday at work and Wednesday night at the soccer game and and Friday night when I'm hanging out with my neighbors and Sunday afternoon when I'm resting and watching a football game. Like it's, it's everywhere. It's part of who you are. You are intentionally in. You're partnering with the Spirit to pursue the mission of God. What is our vision for the church? That, that's it. Imagine with me if an outsider described a typical attender of Hope Alliance with this simple verse, Romans 12, 11. Imagine the gospel impact. You say, but what are the programs? What are they? doesn't matter. If we're living this way, all of a sudden, the glory of God is on the move. The gospel is boiling over. We're hot and passionate for the right things. This is what we need. Everyone engaged. If I'm engaged, then I'm intentionally in. This is not just a vision that Adam casts. This is what I'm supposed to be. Second statement I want to give as we finish up here is that if I'm engaged, then I'm active. If I'm engaged, then I'm active. I'm intentionally in, important, but I'm active. James chapter 1, verse 22, pretty famous verse, right? It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says, right? Other places it said, be doers of the word, not just hearers. And you say, Pastor Adam, that's not about vision and stuff like that. You're right. He's talking about the gospel, right? He's talking about good Orthodox Christian teaching. In other words, don't just listen to it. Base your life on it. Do something about it, right? If you're not doing something about it, then it really hasn't impacted you. But the same is true for everything we've talked about in this series because we're talking about the gospel call to make disciples for the glory of God. And so my challenge to my heart, first and foremost, and then hopefully to your hearts is, we can't just hear this stuff. We have to do something about it. If we just listen to sermons, if we just listen to ourselves preach sermons, my issue, right? We fool ourselves. Think about that for a minute. So much of how the church has taught the gospel and taught scriptures is all about listening to teaching. And I am not minimizing that, because here you are listening (laughs) to teaching, right? Significant. But it's always meant to be a means to an end. That the teaching is meant to so lift up God that it moves us into action on the basis of it. And here James is just saying something pretty simple. If all you do is come and listen to sermons... If all you do is come and preach sermons, you never do anything about it. 
chances are you haven't actually heard what's been preached. In other words, let's put it into modern-day church terminology. We cannot settle for being consumers of religious goods and services anymore. We must take up the mission of God and participate. We need good sermons. Yes. We need good music. Yes. We need exciting community groups. Yes. All important, but they're a means to an end to get us on mission together for what God has called us to. If we're just getting together for an experience and then going home and living our lives, then we're fooling ourselves. And there are lots of churches that have lots of really good things that we could consume. And at times, at Hope, we have lots of good things that we could just consume. But if that's what the church really is, then we haven't actually read the New Testament. Or at least we haven't understood it. Because it is always a call to mission. So, everyone engaged. It means we are intentionally in. It means that we are active. That we're doing something about it. How? How do we be intentionally in? How do we be active about it? Let me just give you a couple of ideas. Spitballing with you this morning. This is not an exhaustive list, but this should get us thinking together. The first is, take this identity we talk about for hope and own it. It is not an identity for a, a corporate organization. It's an identity for a church that is a collective people. When we talk about the identity of hope, we mean people, not organizations and programs. Take the identity, simply Jesus, gospel saturation, and let it order how you live, who you are, what God has called you to. Own it. Second thing, maybe this is crass, I don't know. Show up, right? It's up there already. Show up, right? If you're intentionally in and active, the first action you can make is, hey, I'm going to community group. Hey, I'm going to be there on Sunday morning unless I'm sick or on vacation. Why? Because God's taking attendance? We know that's not true, right? Pastor Adam's taking attendance? Typically not, right? Why? Because I'm part of something. I'm part of a church that's trying to get after the mission that Jesus has called us to. And if I'm going to believe in urgency, and if I'm going to believe in diligence, and if I'm going to believe in, in, in partnering with the Spirit to, to be boiling over, i got to be present. I've got to be there. Now listen, uh, talking to, to you at home right now, I get it, right? We are still in the midst of a global pandemic. It is not over. There are new variants. People have varying levels of comfort being here physically. No one is condemning you for not being here. We affirm your decision. But join us virtually. And as, your com as it eases or your comfort allows, then come back and be with us permanently. I am, and not pointedly, but lovingly, talking to you at home if the reason you're not here has nothing to do with comfort level because of COVID and personal attendance, but new habits that take form easily when things we used to do have been 
altered or disrupted for a length of time. Habits form quick. Listen to me. We need you here. Everyone means everyone. We're not the church unless you're part of it. And we can't be moving after this unless you're with us. Here's the truth, church. When we say show up, here's what you have to believe about the gatherings of the church. First, you have to believe that it's beneficial for you, right? We get that. You've got to get over that hurdle. But if it's just about that, then we're just consumers, and we've missed the whole point. You have to also believe that your presence is beneficial for others. That a huge reason we gather is not so you can listen to me blabber on for 30 to 45 minutes every Sunday, but because the person next to you, behind you, around you, they kind of need you here. Sometimes to speak the right word at the right moments. Sometimes to smile when you had no idea that your smile just gave them what they needed. Sometimes to show steady persistence when their heart is wavering. Your presence matters to everyone else. So many people when they talk about churches like, well, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, that stinks. You should get something out of it. And if churches aren't doing their job, preaching well, uh, leading good music, that matters and is important. But if that's what church is about, then, then we've misunderstood. We're not active. We're consumers. Right? And my response to those people is, what are you bringing to the church? And more importantly, what are you withholding from the church by not coming? Because we need you. And it's not just others, it's the collective us. That the gathered people of God are not the gathered people of God unless the gathered people of God are present. Right? And so if we're at 70% capacity, then we're at 70%. What if we were at 100%? What if we were all moving forward together in momentum? It matters that we show up. But it's not just about showing up, it's also about participating. Right? That is, if we simply are about showing up, then we can still be consumers. I show up, the sermon sometimes is good, but the music is excellent. Right? I show up, the sermon's awesome, the music's okay. I show up because my kids like the kids' ministry thing. We want you to not just show up, but participate, right? In other words, that means you come to a community group, you come to a Bible study, you come to corporate worship on Sunday morning, you come to a prayer and vision gathering, you come with intentionality, of an open mind and an open heart to participate in what is about to happen. Why? Because certainly God wants to teach you something. But second, and just as important, God intends to use you. And if your mind and heart aren't open to hear from Him, then you're going to miss. And so our vision is not just perfect attendance. Our vision is engaged present, participating together. Number four, be generous, right? How do we be active in this thing? Be generous. Pastors love to use these three T's. I'll just steal it because I can't say it better. Time, talent, treasure, right? When we talk about generosity, it's a holistic thing. We're not talking about the offering box on the back table. We're talking about a way of living. Be generous, be generous with your home. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your affirmation and encouragement. 
Be generous to stop and text someone who's having uh, an, an important doctor's appointment tomorrow. Be careful and text someone who had uh, a big job interview happen. Be, be generous and, and text someone just to say, hey, I was thinking about you today. I noticed you weren't uh, in church this morning. I hope everything's okay. Be generous and text them say, I'm praying for you. I love you. Be generous with your talents. God has, has formed you in, in unique and powerful ways, ways that can and should be used for the purpose of making disciples. Be generous. And be generous with your treasures. With your car, be generous. Your house, be generous. With your finances, be generous. We need to be together in this mission. Be generous. And then three more things. And these three things I won't talk about a lot because we're going to talk about them one each of the next three weeks. How do we actively engage? Number five, serve. Serve. Next week, we're going to talk about everyone serving. How do we get after this? Everyone serving. Serving in your spiritual gifts? Yes. Serving where I'm needed? Yes. Putting it on the line for the sake of the mission. Everyone serving. Number six, invite. Everyone inviting. Doing, uh, we'll look at John chapter 1 together, where the first disciples are simply going back to the people they know and saying, listen, you need to come and see what's happening over here. Not giving these great defenses of the Christian faith, not like uh, overly evangelizing, not um, shoving stuff down people's throats, but saying, hey, I, I'm part of this thing. It's exciting. It's in, the gospel's changing me. You should really come and see. You're here because someone invited you. Or perhaps you stumbled across us some other way, but largely someone invited you. How do we lean into this? We need everyone inviting. And then lastly, everyone blessing. What we mean by this is loving your neighbor. And bless is an acronym that we'll spell out uh, in a couple of weeks that gives us practical ways to love our neighbor. Jesus said that his disciples will be known by love. The chief way that we lean into this mission that Jesus has given us is love. And the people who we are called to love are the people that we're interacting with all of the time. Coworkers, neighbors, family, friends. Jesus says, love them. We want everyone engaged. Why? Because we believe the glory of God is worth it. And we believe Jesus is a king and a Lord worth serving. And this is the mission he's given us. And we believe this family called Hope Alliance is exciting, warts and all. And he's given us a unique call to live into this gospel thing together. And so for all of those reasons, we say, let's enter into this intentional season of growth together by everyone being engaged. Can you pray with me?